They said when they've studied humans, how we decide things, the more important the decision, usually the less intelligent we become. We become more emotional. I purposely built my life to have multiple flows of income. The average millionaire has over three, between three and seven different sources of income. In the Wharton book, Making Decisions, let me read you something that's fascinating, okay? He, there's multiple ways the human brain, you're going to decide. And if you think about everything, every good or bad thing in your life is going to have hinged on some decision. Who you marry, what political party you vote for in this case, whether Robert E. Lee should be taken down, the decision you make on what you believe on that, uh, what career you choose, how you invest your money in the stock market, that's all decision. The opening chapter of this book is a Danish proverb. He who has choice has trouble. Remember, write that down if you're taking notes. He who has choice has trouble. What does that mean? Well, you know, the what's the song? More women, more problems. You know? I got 99 problems. No woman, no cry. Oh, yeah. That was the reggae song, Bob Marley. But no, if we had less choice, we would have less sorrow because you'd have less regret. But you'd also have less happiness. So in a world of unlimited choice that we have. Like tonight, we could decide to go to the Playboy Mansion. We could drive there, get hit by a car. We're all dead. Or we could go there and make the best business connection of our life. And it, it ends up being one of the most important days. So since you can't tell things ahead of time, if you want to be smarter, here's one of the things that it says. And this is really interesting. It says the more, okay, here it is. It's on page 27. Consequences of emotional trade-off difficulty. Working harder, but not necessarily smarter. They said, when they've studied humans, how we decide things, the more important the decision, usually the less intelligent we become. We become more emotional. We think about it longer. We use more emotion versus, uh, versus objectivity. So it says, it says here on the end of the chapter, in summary, it appears that subjects work, work harder, yet not smarter, in more emotion-laden conditions. So think about this politics thing. If you, I don't care what side of the story you're on in the, with the white supremacists, the alt-right, the Confederate issue now in Charlottesville, North, uh, Virginia. If you were to go there today, it would be very hard to, have an, to be able to get people to have a non-emotional conversation. Everybody's emotional. You got the alt-right. I saw an interview with David Duke. You know, if you got him riled up, he's going to be emotional. If you got the people who want to tear down uh, the statue, they'd be emotional. It's very rare to hear good opinions, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So just remember, next time you're put into a situation where you have to decide something that's naturally fueled with a lot of emotion, what this book, this Wharton professor uh the book, one more time, is Wharton on Making Decisions by Stephen Hoke, Howard Kuntreither, and Robert Gunther. That's an interesting name. <laughs> Kun, oh, Kuntreither. That makes sense. So the other night I had the problem with my wife whenever there was a lot of dirty dishes in the sink and I was telling her it needed to be done. She reacted emotionally, uh, you know, didn't like that I was telling her to do it. But I said, let's think about this logically. If you don't do them, they will attract ants. <laughs> we won't be able to eat off of them because they're so dirty. 
So let's think Just about this. to be clear, this. Zach doesn't actually have a wife. <laughs> but his make... Was this a blow-up doll, Zach? <laughs> that made him drop his... <laughs> <laughs> no no comment. <laughs> One of the best ways to make a decision is not to try to figure out which way will turn out the best, but it's called regret minimalization. It's interesting. This book talks about it, and that's actually how uh, Jeff Bezos decided to start Amazon by computing the decision whether quitting his job was smart um, because of the amount of uh, regret he would have. So. Let's say anybody here asked me, Ty, should I marry Susie? Should I quit my job and start this business? All that kind of stuff, okay? And you don't know what to do. It's a tough decision. Maybe you want to move. Maybe you've always wanted to move to California and now you live in, you know, Nebraska. And you're like, I've always wanted to move to, to California. If you want to be super intelligent, like we're talking about, this book, Super Intelligence, this book, Making Decisions, Better than trying to go, well, if I stay in Nebraska, I have this job, and you make a pro and cons list. Well, that's okay. Pros and cons. Okay, if I go to California, maybe I become this and this, and I meet this person. But both of those outcomes are not guaranteed. You could move to California, get run over by a car. You could stay in Nebraska and get run over by a car, right? You'll never be able to tell ahead of time what the right decision is. But you can ask yourself this. Which one will cause most likely the most or the least amount of regrets? Moving to California and staying or staying in Nebraska. And that's called regret minimalization. So write that down. If you want to be super intelligent, if you want to make good decisions, this is really, by the way, what AI, artificial intelligence, is about. Those machines make decisions. There's a, you know, there was this... um, computer that beat Kasparov, the chess master, the the grandmaster, that it just made decisions smarter than he did. So your life is like a chess game. You're either making smart decisions and you got to know how to do them. And the second you go, just ask myself, will I regret this likely? Will I likely regret this or not? So let's say on little decisions, someone says, yo, Zach, let's go salsa dancing. And let's say Zach's never been salsa dancing. You got to ask yourself, Will you one day look back when you're 80 years old and be like, now I'm old, I can't move around. I wish when I was young I had gone out and maybe gone more salsa dance or had more fun. And the odds are you will. You'll regret that. You know, it's funny. Girls that are pretty are always like, oh, these guys always DM me in my inbox. So I go out and people yell things at me. And I'm not condoning that, that guys do that. But... Um, you got to realize that one day, <laughs> if you talk to a woman who's 70 years old, the, uh, I mean, I've heard older women say this, man, when I was young, guys used to be after me. I would be, you know, calling me, following me home, da, 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 da. pinch my tush. Yeah. Thank you, Zach, for the Southern. <laughs> but, but the point being is be careful of shying away from things that one day you might regret shying away from. You know, what are the things that mostly people regret when they die? What have you heard, Zach? People die, they say, I wish I would have... Traveled more. Traveled more, okay. Survey says? Ding. Ding. (laughs) Kate. 
Mm. When after that cer- certain someone, they're always too scared to talk to. There you go. Going after somebody like, you know, in your classroom, at your work, but, you know, next door neighbor, you think they're cute. But I should have pinched her tush. No, don't pinch their tush like Zach I, says. I, no, I'm kidding. I should Zach is, thinks he's Hugh Hefner because he's, <laughs> he's in a robe right now. Um, so what else? What, uh, what Some of the brainstorms. Taking more chances, Fidencio says. I should have gone skydiving. Skydiving. See, I don't, I, I don't regret that. Someone said following your dream, but be specific. What kind of risks? People say risks. What up? Smashing, somebody said. <laughs> okay. Dating more women. Well, well changing that uh, to dating more women, not smashing. Learned more. Drugs. You mean you wish you had done more drugs or less? <laughs> Somebody just put drugs. That reminds me of in The Office. It's open-ended. The UK version of The Office, if you've ever seen it with Ricky Gervais, is so funny. They, they, uh, they're doing employee reviews of this guy named Keith who doesn't talk. He talks kind of weird. And he goes, strengths and weaknesses. He put weaknesses, eczema. <laughs> and he's like, we were talking about business weaknesses. And his strengths was his job. Yeah, strengths was uh, accounts. Exactly what he does. No, yeah, he yeah. said accounts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay. Drugs is not eczema. a good answer. Starting a media company. What is the thing that you potentially will regret next year not doing this year? Let's talk about it that way. Trying to read more books. Making more money. What about somebody forgot? I tell you the one that people forget. Working out. Okay, working out. Eating hell healthy. yeah. You will regret one day not working out if you because the older you get, the fatter you get for the most part. So if you wait too long, the body, your metabolism is all messed up. Um how about this one? Spending more time with, with people you enjoy being around. I think that's the I think if you had to summarize. The number one regret of humans, the older you get. So if you can avoid this regret, to me, you're super intelligent because that's the subject of today's podcast. People. Everything in life for the most part is a people thing. Travel is important. I agree. Travel is a big one. But if I had a choice between traveling and having to be around crappy people all the time, whether it's dating, family, work, friends, or just staying in you know, Los Angeles the rest of my life, but being around people I like to be around. Just ask yourself, on a 1 to 10, the people you work with, the people you date, the people you, uh, the people you associate with in your family, because most of us have big families. Most people here have more than one person in their family. So you have to make a choice. You can't hang out with everybody. How many of those relationships are with people you consider a 8, 9, or a 10? And if you start, if your boss is annoying, if your coworkers are annoying, you're going to spend eight hours a day at your work. So true super intelligence comes from making good decisions. Good decisions come from part one, reducing emotion around stressful times, stressful subjects. And number two, thinking about regret minimalization. And Jeff Bezos wasn't sure he was going to quit his job. He was making over 100 I don't know how much he was making, but he was making good money in the 1990s. He was making Wall Street high pay. And so he had a big, in his mind, he said he had a big risk. What if he quits his job and he can't get it back? 
and he borrowed money from his parents and his friends. I think he borrowed $300,000 to start Amazon. And, you know, was that going to be a big risk or not? And I think he made the right choice because right now he almost passed Bill Gates. Is he the richest man in the world right now? Kate, Google. Look, Kate. He Wait, was, I'll have my phone. Oh, we're for a matter of minutes. For minutes. He, but he was, he's number two, and he's a lot younger. What's he at right now? Jeff Bezos. So imagine if Jeff Bezos had not made the decision to quit his job, start Amazon. Somebody else would have done it. I guarantee you somebody else would have made that money. What's it's, he at? It's Bill right now. By how much? What are they at? Uh, Bill's showing as 86, then Warren at 75.6, and then Bezos they've got at 72.8. Yeah. Well, he's still very rich. He has $72 billion. $72,000 million. Wow. <laughs> okay. Someone said, Kate, are you going to die of boredom? No. Kate's just shy. She <laughs> listens, but she... I talk a lot. I just... Not on camera. Kate is shy. It's funny. Kate thinks she's an extrovert, but she's no, such an I introvert. No, It just takes me a while. Kate. Open that, up. That's... That's the definition of an introvert. <laughs> introvert. I stand against the wall until yeah. I get comfortable. Then I move to the Kate center goes, of the room. I'm not an introvert. I'm just introverted. <laughs> Whatever. Again, it's Mediterranean diet, right? Okay. You want protein and fat at every meal with some carbohydrates. Simple. That's what it. is the Mediterranean? Eat real food. What's the break, what's the breakdown? Do you know roughly? Is it a 30-30-30 kind of breakdown? Your body's pretty good at deciding what to absorb. Okay. And so, you know, what do I eat? You know, breakfast, I alternate between heart-healthy eggs, between, uh, you know, yogurt one day, hard cheeses the next day. Lunch, I have a salad with protein on it. You know, dinner, I have a protein, predominantly fish and chicken. Once a week, I have grass-fed beef mm-hmm. and, you know, lots of vegetables with it, olive oil, all the good oils. Have a glass of wine at night, and that's a healthy diet. What about coconut oil? This has been in the news because coconut oil, <laughs> it seems like it vacillates between coconut oil is the greatest thing for you, and then this new study comes out, and it's so bad for you. There's no study showing a real benefit to coconut oil. Coconut water is a whole different thing. You know, okay. In World War II, we didn't have blood for transfusions. We actually went right from the coconut to the vein because huh. wow. coconut water has colloid and electrolytes. It's very similar to human plasma. Mm-hmm. When you drink a glass of water, it distributes throughout your whole body. When you drink coconut water, it stays inside the blood vessels. So one glass of coconut water is like two or three bottles of regular water. But let me bring this up. So Chris Paul is a friend of mine. He plays pro basketball now for the Houston Rockets. And all those guys, not just Chris Paul, they swear by these tests that test for food allergies. So there's one called Cyrex um, that I've done, uh, the ELISA test and things like that. Have you, and it makes sense to me that people are different. Now, I did a Cyrex test for my own butt, and the most fascinating thing is every single thing that I don't like, um, I'm slightly allergic to. So, for example, steamed tomatoes. Um, it's, it's bullshit. So you think it's BS? <laughs> it's not that I think it is. That's what the yeah. data show. Okay. So Hippocrates, 2,400 years ago, used to keep a diary. he eat something and see how he felt. If he didn't feel good, he didn't eat it anymore. Listen to your body. These tests don't make any sense, and there's somebody trying to make a buck off you but there really is no data behind them. Interesting. If you eat milk and you don't feel good, don't have milk. Yeah. If you eat, you know, whatever it is, just listen to yourself. That is the best way to do it. 
Unfortunately, we don't have the technology now to find allergies in the blood very well. Yeah, true. But the body, it's tricky because modern food tricks you. If it's any kind of process, you, for example, coconut water. Some coconut waters have added sugar. Um, well, but the key is eat real food. Don't eat the processed things. Okay. Don't take the supplements. Don't take the vitamins. Don't take the pills. Eat real food. Yeah. Dr. Agassiz doesn't take vitamins. I'd like to, if I could, real quick. <laughs> um, vitamins just... I listen to my body, so I, I'm really interested. And I want to get back. <laughs> Sorry. Uh-oh, I Actually, heard a I laugh. I think my mic is yeah. No, so it's I'll on. I'll use this one real quick. Um, you, I want to get back to what you said about wine. You, you yes. said you do wine every night, and I really like Oh, I thought you were saying that I wine. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, I just wanted to bring it back yes. to you. I, I listen to my body. My body says to have wine a lot, so I didn't know <laughs> how much wine you recommend. So alcohol is a depressant, right? When you drink a bunch of alcohol, you fall asleep. And three, four hours later, you wake up again because mm-hmm. you get a rebound surge in adrenaline. Alcohol has health benefits. They're clearly cardiovascular benefits. In women, it slightly increases the risk of breast cancer. You don't want to drink too much. It's moderation. So if alcohol is affecting your sleep, you're drinking too much. So I know if I have more than two glasses of wine, it affects my sleep. So I try to stop at a glass and a half. Can you do that, Zach? Uh, I mean, that's another <laughs> podcast. That deals with self-control. He didn't say, <laughs> one, he didn't say one gallon. He doesn't stop at one gallon. Now, one of the things, I think the most confusing thing for people watching and for myself is that Every piece of science, when you read a scientific report, it seems like within six months, the opposite comes out. Yeah. So oh I've seen things that say wine are amazing for you, and they, and I've seen uh, uh, other reports that say the benefits don't outweigh the negatives. Do you think that part of the answer could be wine's better for some people and should be avoided by others. Oh, no Same question about coffee. it. If you have a family history of breast cancer, oh, yeah. you have wine, you're going to increase your risk of breast cancer. That's real. Mm-hmm. And so everything is contextual. Right. And you're right. The media take things out of context all the time. A study came out six months ago and the headline was meat causes cancer. So what the data in the study show is that processed meats mm-hmm. every day yes. for 20 years raise the rate of colon cancer from 4% to 5%. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so, it. Process. So it's real, right? Meat does cause cancer. Yeah. But first of all, if you have processed meat every day for 20 years, a hot dog a day for 20 years, yeah. you have a psychological problem. That's yeah. totally different. Yeah. But to the average person, Arkansas. this headline <laughs> was irrelevant. Well, there's nothing wrong with Arkansas in particular, but, the, uh, but, but this headline was irrelevant to the average person. So it's really putting things in context that's key. But the other point you made, I think, is critical is that 80% of scientific studies after 10 years are disproven. Mm -hmm. So it matters where the study is, who did the study, what journal it's in, and that is critical. So if you read a study on the internet, because you're going to find everything on the internet, and you don't see it the next day in the New York Times or Time Magazine or on CBS, I do the CBS Morning Show. If we're not talking about it, it probably isn't that accurate or that important. So if it's Harvard and it was done on 10,000 people, it's probably a lot better than if it's, you know, a, a... food company that commissioned a study to exactly. back up. There are lots of medical journals where you pay a fee and yeah. they publish your paper. Ooh, yeah. fun. So nobody looks at it and it just gets, well, I have a published paper. Yeah, but it's in a journal you never heard of. Yeah. If it's not New England Journal of Medicine or a journal title you've heard of, it's probably not that significant. Now, why do you say that supplements are 
are worthless, all of them. I know some would obviously be. It's but, not me saying that. It's the data but saying do you, that. Are, is there no data that shows people benefiting from supplements? There is yet to be a study in the history of man or womankind showing a vitamin or a supplement having a benefit to a normal individual ever. But what about if somebody's sick? Do any of your friends have scurvy or rickets or right, berry right. berry? Yeah. So if somebody is sick, you know, in general, there are medicines that have been shown in randomized trials mm-hmm. to have benefit. I don't know right now of a supplement that works in those situations or a vitamin. I wish there will be. And I'd be the first to say, do it if there's data behind it. So but let there- me, can I play devil devil's advocate? So yes. I, I, one of my first businesses was in agriculture and the food business. In the United States, every animal that's raised that we eat, whether it's dairy or beef, the farmer's supplement. Now, there's no placebo effect on animals. The USDA recommends it, um, whether it's mineral, uh, a mineral mix for every single cow that we're eating. Is the USDA and all their science, because farmers are the cheapest people in the world, are, if, are they all misguided? They no, should just no, no. shut off all. They're supplementing animals because they want them to mature quickly so they can take them to market quickly. They don't have to wait five years before they no, no, sell not them. Just the, not, not growth acceleration. I'm literally talking about right, like multivitamins. Well, they're putting them in a confined area and using food that's processed and right. you know dried. And they're not going to, you know, normally an animal has a taste. They need salt. They go and they find a rock that has salt on it and they lick right. it. In the setting of a caged animal, they don't have that opportunity. So you have to supplement them. So it's a little bit different. And these are inbred. We're not inbred. We have the ability of listening to our body and taking what we want. And in general, we have a pretty well-rounded diet in our country where we're getting almost all of the nutrients we need. Again, I challenge you to find a friend of yours that has rickets or beriberi or to show me a study in a randomized way that showed a benefit. And they're all done. Right. Right. There was a study, you know, showing that if you give a woman over 70 increased vitamin D to increase her level, you increase the beta rate of bone fractures. You don't decrease it. If you give a man vitamin E to prevent cancer, you increase the rate of prostate cancer pretty dramatically, almost 16% in the study. That was a $300 million study. When I was in, I moved to North Carolina when I was 13, and we lived on a little farm in Clayton, North Carolina, and next door neighbor, was an old woman named Mrs. Crete. She was 92 years old. She had a little goat farm, and we'd go over there on Sundays to check on her. And I remember her telling me, she was very healthy. She goes, Ty, I smoke every day. I haven't eaten a vegetable in 40 years. And I, she ate Twinkies and donuts. Oh so there's always those people. Yeah. Do you think they'll be kind of in closing as we talk about living Well, the, for, the Twinkie, oh, the preservatives in the Twinkie preserved her, her, and then she was fine. From my old eye. No, but do you think in the future we'll be a one of the ways we'll be able to live longer or potentially quote unquote forever is going and looking and sequencing a, a Mrs. Creech and going, what the <laughs> heck is going on? Can we put this into everybody? No question about it. I think looking at extremes is going to be very important. Yeah. Outliers, Outliers. As we call them. Yeah. The other is, you know, you're going to see very soon in the next year watches come out where they can measure things like insulin and cortisol through the skin. Yes. So you're going to start to see how an individual food affects you. Yes. How going to sleep early or late affects you. And so all of a sudden you're going to personalize what you do based on real data, not based on the hocus post of some of these tests out there, but based on real data. To me, that's going to be powerful. Joe, 
you you use social media as basically your business. Joe has eight kids and raises a family and makes a lot of money and you're doing you're doing seven figures you're making over a million dollars a year yeah and my wife you know we're talking about instagram she's got uh uh a hair bow business right hair bows hair bows okay so she does uh she's had she's done over a million dollars of sales a year really since 2014 selling hair bows that you know instagram through Facebook and Instagram. Those are the, really the two platforms. And it probably should be YouTube. I'm trying to talk her into doing Facebook Live, but just through Facebook ads and then also a few partner sites that have picked her up to sell her products. Yeah. But these weren't her products, meaning she didn't make them. Yep. She just found somebody who made them and then she rebranded it herself on her own website. Huh. And we, we have um, her mom works for us full time out of our home and we ship hundreds of, of uh hair bows per day How and headbands you know like you, you wear headbands what's that cost what does somebody pay for a head bow i know nothing. a hair bow hair bow a hair I know so you know head bow. you've seen the girls wearing the headbands so headbands and hair bows for little girls okay so she started this business because she was buying hair bows for our daughters and she was paying an astronomical amount of money for what she felt like she should be paying she's like i'm not going to pay 20 bucks for a hair bow so she found them for like you know 20 cents <laughs> right overseas she found she, she had to test different distributors she ended up coming up with some of her own designs mm-hmm. submitted her designs they would manufacture and make them and they would ship them over to us which is how it works so it's today. a drop shipping type business it is however we drop ship it from our own house so you're getting the yeah inventory. that way the customer gets it faster right i'm not against the drop shift drop <laughs> drop shift the drop ship lifestyle right but it does take longer for a product to come from like china yeah if you're doing it that way so what we do is we bring all the inventory in our home she has her mom work full-time pays her a full-time salary so our way of giving back to her mom as well her mom does a fantastic job sends out hundreds of hair bows and headbands per day out of our home that's awesome and she she started money out of nothing it's actually where i started my testing of facebook advertising as early as like 2013 i was trying to figure this out and when I actually was able to show how that worked for in social media, Facebook advertising, then I took it to the businesses that were part of my agency. I actually started with the hair bow business and then went to the eight. I actually remember going to the restaurant and yep. saying to them, it works for my wife's hair bow business. Yeah. It'll work for your restaurant. And they believed me. They yeah. believed, okay, I think, so. I think it'll work. And then we tested it and it worked. And then it became turnkey for the restaurants, which is how I got the restaurant niche in my agency business because I had all kinds of businesses like speakers and authors and so forth as clients. Right. Many of the ones authors you've read have been my past clients. But to get in the restaurant niche, it came from Facebook ads. So Joe, just so you guys know, I told you there's three ways you can make money from your social media. One of the ways that you can get, you can make money, it's actually number three, is you can do the social media marketing for authors, for restaurants, for doctors, for dentists, for landscapers, for construction companies, for comedians like Zach. Uh, for celebrities, for rock stars, for rappers. Like, there's a huge market for that. And for those of you who want to know more about that, if you go to tylopez.com, my website, there's a, there's a social media marketing agency link. There's, so now there's basically two things, two different programs that I have if you want access to them. The first one is how to build a social media marketing agency. And um, Joe is one of the teachers there, teaching how he's making a million dollars, over a million dollars a year not even counting his wife's stuff, um, working from home, you know. We both work from home. Working from home, employing the family, eight kids, <laughs> living a great life. So that's one. And this, the newest program that I just launched at tylopez.com secrets 
is how in the world can you make sell your own products or be an affiliate using Instagram? Best way to market your Instagram and create a strong following. This is Amber, oops, Amber Scarberry. Okay, here's the deal. Two things in my opinion. One, you don't need a huge following. No, On Instagram, 10,000 followers, Mm -hmm. even 5,000 followers, you can start making. I mean, I've seen people make My wife's only at 15,000, which is a lot, but it's not significant, right? Yeah. So she's at 15,000 Instagram followers, but she's over 105,000 on Facebook. Yep. But she had done, did a, did a million dollars in sales and we were shipping hundreds of products with 30,000 fans on Facebook. Yeah. So, so you don't not, have to have an astronomical number to be successful in it. And how do you grow your Instagram? There's really about three ways. One, you can just wait for it to grow, which will take for most people to get to 10,000. If you just wait for it to naturally grow, it's going to take you 30 years. So it's not a great way. Number two, you can do collaborations. And that's where what you see big Instagrammers doing now, like Jake Paul, if you look at people like uh, um, uh, Summer Rae, you know, they'll do exchanges with other people who have followers. That's a great one. And you can do that on YouTube too. I'll t- I talk about that in this tylopez.com slash secrets. But, you know, it's a long conversation on how to do it. How do you get your foot in the door? But just... It's not as hard as you think because they want followers too. So you can start with just, if you have 3,000 Instagram followers, you can go to your friend who has 3,000 Instagram followers and said, I'll post for you. You post for me. We'll make a funny video together. We'll make a viral video together. We'll do, you need to do something good, not just say, oh, post, you know, follow my friend and no one's going to follow. It's got to be something interesting. Okay. So that's the second way. The third way you can do is you can do paid advertising or paid giveaways. And I've done all of these. I've let my, you know, in 2014 or 2013, I had, you know, a thousand Instagram followers. And now I have 2.4 million um, Instagram followers. Same with YouTube. In 2014, I had like a hundred subscribers. Now I'm like, oh, I'm almost at a million. I'm like 9.900,990. Really, <laughs> literally. It's amazing. I need yeah. 10,000 left. But you don't need that much. Now, somebody said paid advertising is expensive. No, it's not. But if you can make your money back. No, it's not. Yeah. Now, Joe's an expert at Facebook. Um, You were telling, we were just talking about this restaurant that you were only spending $1,500 a month. And how much sales were you generating for them? Ninety thousand over a hundred thousand dollars a week ultimately, but initially it went right to ninety. But, but how but, much did you add? They were doing some revenue. They were doing seventy seven thousand a week. So you added about twenty five thousand of per revenue week. per That's week. That's a hundred thousand, a million per year. A million per year, and you only spent about twenty grand for Correct. That. But let me let me also address this because you know, when someone says social media is ex, is expensive or the paid advertising is expensive, they don't get it. Okay. So I don't I don't mean that to be harsh, but let me look at it like this. My wife's business, when we first, when she started doing the hair bows and headbands, she got the idea because she had a background in eBay. So she was an eBay power seller, which a power seller, I think, is somebody who's done $100,000 in sales on eBay and beyond. They become a power seller status. This was back in the day when I first met her. I saw how come I knew, hey, this one's for me, right? She's super ambitious yeah. and she's entrepreneurial. Zach, you need so, a power seller. Yeah, go get a fight of eBay Bring power seller. <laughs> Zach's looking for so, sugar mama. Right. So... <laughs> For almost a year straight, we never spent more than 10 or 20 bucks ever in a day. Huh. And the average we spent on Facebook advertising for our hair bow business was $5 a day. 
Wow. We ended up getting picked up by some major sites like, like Jane.com and Zulily and, and sites like that that sell and started selling her products. She actually pulled away from Zulily because of how that it just wasn't very good for the business. And, um, but she gets featured every day, for example, on almost every day on Jane.com. And they have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So that's also a strategy that you can use. If you're reselling another product, you can find deal sites that need products like yours to feature and sell. They just need you. You're yeah. the middleman. Yep. Uh, but here's also the other things you have to think about what, 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 you know, what you're looking at customer, customer acquisition, right? You know, what kind of money goes into it? When a restaurant says to me, 1500 bucks seems like a lot of money. It's because they don't believe that, you know, they can make 20,000 extra a week. Right. They don't realize they've never seen it turn into anything for them because they didn't know how to do it well. That's why there's such a market to help other businesses right now. Sam Kellogg said, Ty, I'm, a ha- I'm definitely a hater, or I'm honestly a hater, so prove me wrong and tell me how you made your money. Well, I just told you at the beginning of the show, I've done 40 or 50 million just from social media. I own the biggest book club shipping uh, company in the world, Mentor Box. It's a club. Amazon's the biggest book shipping, but besides Amazon, uh, it makes about 50 grand a day now. Um, I own a sleep a company that helps with sleep stuff. We're just expanding into mattresses now. I own a wealth management company. We manage about $100 million for people. Own a real estate investing company. Uh, nightclubs. Been a business consultant. So I've done a couple things in my day to make money. And sometimes people go, it's funny how people want to know like one thing. They're like, Ty, what's the one thing? I don't understand how you made money. And I'm like, I purposely built my life to have multiple flows of income. The average billionaire has, uh, uh, sorry, the average millionaire has over three, depending on what study you look at, between three and seven different sources of income. I own an apparel line. In fact, today, if you saw my Snapchat, Charlotte is uh, launching a new line of t-shirts and fitness apparel. So man, you know, I'm, I'm, my one thing that I'll tell you, and Joe and Zach and McKenna will probably agree with this. People have different personality types. My personality type is a little bit ADD, but you don't want to be too ADD or you'll be broke. But I mean, I get bored if I do the same thing for too many years. I gotta, I have to switch. So what I do now, because I got a little smarter is I found people who love to do one thing for 10 years in a row. I put them as the CEO of the business. I get the business off the ground with MentorBox. Let me just tell you this. This is the people ask me like, what's your favorite company you've ever launched is MentorBox. Let me tell you why. MentorBox doing about 50, between 40 and 50,000 a day in revenue. It's profitable every day too. So there's cost to that. It's not all profit. Doing some paid ads. Yeah, we're doing paid ads. Um, it's fascinating. We're now going into corporate sales. It's kind of like the Netflix for books, right? That's what that's what um, MentorBox is. But Alex, my business partner, I told him on day one, you do all the work. I'll come up with the ideas and the big picture. And he goes, okay, I love that. And I, I was like, great. I love that you agreed with that. <laughs> and so I do one hour a week and it makes over a million bucks a month. And I'm sorry, one hour a month. I put so I put in about 12 hours of work, maybe 15 or 20 hours in the last year. And, you know, it's doing over one to two million dollars a month in revenue. That's my favorite business. 
because I got 10 times the result with 10 times less work. And a lot of people that are watching this are, are getting advice that life is just about grinding it out and, you know, well, there is truth that you will need to grind. There is truth that you will need to put in hard work. But smart work where you use your brain always beats hard work. And so when it comes to social media, for example, how did I figure out how to make money with social media? And, you know, Kim Kardashian got on the cover of Forbes. She made $50 million, they said, from social media. And, you know, she did that in one year. I've, I did it in two years. So I'm not as big as Kim Kardashian, but I, I've done a lot. You don't have your own emoji yet. I don't have my own emoji. Well, but, but let me just, to be fair to myself, Kim started in 2008 and I started in 2015. So now I'm not the best. I'm not trying to brag. What I'm saying is you should have hope. Two years it took me. So even if you don't have the same success level as me, it's not hard, in my opinion, for me, if I had to start over, to make a hundred grand a year, which is a great living. I mean, to make eight grand a month from social media is child's play. I had a uh earlier this year I had Liz on wasn't a podcast, but I had her on my Snapchat. She's, uh, I don't know, 30 years old. She was born in Mexico, came to America. I didn't have much money. And now she makes $500,000 a, a month drop shipping on Amazon. Wow. You know, she drop ships. Um, you know, she drop ships uh, cosmetic stuff she has. She has quite a few different businesses. So it's huge. It is huge. And the main thing holding you back is not knowing the strategy. And there, there's a good book. It's the Four Pillars of Execution. I posted, like, how to do stuff. And you have to realize, part of execution is strategy. So some people go, just dive right into it and just launch your business. And I see people doing that with social media. They go, Ty, I'm just going to make money with social media. I'm just going to do whatever. I don't need to read any books. I don't need to take any courses. I don't need to learn from any mentors. And I see them, like, Five years later, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? You haven't grown at all, you know? So I'm all about growing as quickly as I can that's healthy. You can grow too fast. I've actually had businesses that made too much money too fast, and you end up misspending it or you just get lazy, but you want to do it as fast as you can. That's the key. For some of you, it's going to take you 20 years to become a millionaire, if that's a goal of yours. And some of you will never become a millionaire, even if you want to, because most people are dumb. That's There's a lot to be said about learning your type of routine as well, knowing how you learn. And So how do you learn, McKenna? Well, I know I'm a little bit sporadic, and that's fine. It kind of works for me to go off a whim, unless it's with training people, because I'm on a schedule, they're on my schedule and all that. But with learning... I can be looking into a couple things at a time, and um, I actually try to do it first thing in the morning, read, write, and oh, meditating, by the way. If you don't meditate, you probably should. Zach, do you meditate? thoughts a little bit. Do meditate. I meditate? Yes, meditate. every day. Meditate or meditate? Oh, meditate. <laughs> meditate, meditate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually if I'm high, <laughs> I end up meditating. Zach never gets high. Because I just Zach sit there and drool. Meditate. Zach gets drunk. No, no, I, I do meditate. Yeah, I like meditating. Yeah. Organize your brain a little bit.